Have you ever wanted to go fishing but don't know how to begin? In this episode, we're going to talk about how to get started with fishing. What kind of lures, line, pole, uh, do you need a license, where to fish? Hopefully after this episode, it'll encourage you to go. Welcome to the Dude Just DIY podcast. Today we have Nick, we have Keith. What's up? And I am Pat. And uh, Nick and I are drinking on some Camfield Brewing Company alt beer. Lucky, I don't have any left. Quite delicious, if I what do you got over there, say Keith? so myself. That was the first lager that we ever tried. I have uh, Shipyard Brewing Company Monkey Fist IPA. <laughs> It's uh, it's pretty good. It's really kind of citrusy almost because of the, the hop content or whatever. It tastes good. I like it. Well, um, maybe we should start off and tell everybody about our fishing backgrounds or our fishing history. This so is that- one of my favorite dynamics of this show that Nick and I are like, I don't know, the, the Fishing is my number one hobby, I guess I'm going to say. Nick, it's, I know it's up there for you. And Pat, you're sort of a beginner. Oh, definitely newbie. It, this is, this is the, the dynamic that I love because, and I hope it continues with future shows that we have because it just gives so much, it's so much more fun when somebody just starting out has somebody who knows a shit ton of, about this stuff right next to them and able to ask the, the stupid questions that Nick and I might not think of if we're just talking about it at high level. Well, I, I, this is, uh, I just got off of a Canadian fly in fishing trip. Uh, it was the second that I went on and I could definitely, it was basically the, uh, fourth or fifth day that I had really fished. I, previously I had, you know, picked up a fishing pole and, threw it off a dock and here and there, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I was just, you know, like, Ooh, I got a bobber here. I go throw this off a dock. But this like last trip is when I really figured out what, what I was doing. And it, after the like third or fourth day of fishing, I, the light bulb hit and finally figured out what I was doing. Yeah. Canada to me is kind of like the big leagues. You know, you ask me what I want to do. Canada's right up there at the top. You know, yeah. you go out in one of those lakes, you throw your line and you could pull in, you know, tons of fish in hours and just have an unbelievable time. And you're also catching a lot of like untouched, pristine water fish that, you know, aren't harvested or, you know, there's really nobody in there probably. That's what it felt like that, um, uh, I was on the, the particular lake that I went to the group that I went, the group of six guys that I went with, it was a, about a mile long of water, and we were the only people out there. And basically, if you were if you were in the right spot, you could pull out a fish every five minutes. That's 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 when you know you're gonna have a good time. You know, you, you get those moments in fishing where everything clicks. You can do no wrong, and you just have to. 
you just have to live in the moment at that point because you know around the corner there's going to be a day where you just get skunked. You don't catch a damn thing. <laughs> the just... weather sucks. You know, it, it, it. you can't be too high on one side and too low on the other side. You kind of have to just take it as it comes. Yeah, I think that's an important lesson to kind of take take ahead with you is that don't expect every day to be, you know, this high-level, you know, catching fish crazy great day you know, you're, you're really going out there for the experience and you know like you said to be alone you know, I, I i appreciate you know being out with like one or two of my really good friends on a river or lake that day and just kind of hanging out and chilling out and relaxing you know really cutting loose and you know maybe catching a fish or two but in the end you know you're still spending that time out there isolated you know and enjoying each other's company so you you've been both been fishing since you're, since you're little kids yeah, I, you know, the earliest memories for me fishing were uh, my grandfather's took me. And that back then it was mostly like lake fishing around Ohio. So there was it was a mix of going out in a boat, you know, like um, close by lakes here to Canfield, Youngstown area, which would be like Milton, Pyman, Tooming, and Berlin. You know, we'd fish off the boat. And then we also had a lot of family members that had stocked lakes that we'd go fish at. So, you know, I, I started off with the, I think it was the Mickey Mouse or Snoopy fishing pool. <laughs> with the button. Yeah. With, what did they call oh, those? Yeah. Like cast? <laughs> oh, it's like bait caster. But bait caster. It, that's it's it. just a kid's bait caster, really. You know, that, that's what I started out. I've done that a couple of times where you, like, try to get the timing down where you push that button to get to cast it out it was so bad yeah it's it's a tricky thing you know <laughs> and back then too i you know i'm still new to it and i i didn't like touching fish or putting the worms on but i i like to fish a lot and you know, I, I think that's when i really started getting you know into fishing back then and i like that sensation and you know the first few times i just caught little bluegill but man it was it was a, a rush to see that bobber go below the water and you know this you just get the feeling you get to start pulling in the pull back and it starts bending and you're reeling and fighting this little fish and all of a sudden it comes flying out of the water you know like it's, that's a really happy time especially when you're like you know five six years old fantastic when you're a kid or if you're fishing with kids i, I think there's no no better joy than to see a, a little kid fishing with a bobber and pulling a bluegill on a little tiny piece of worm because you know they're hooked and they're going to want to do it again they're going to want to throw that bobber back in the water again yeah i think uh, an important thing there too especially if you're like a you know parent taking your kids fishing or somebody a younger kid fishing for the first time you know really supporting them with that and then um you know doing whatever it can to kind of make it easier for me or easier for them i mean um like helping them out with the fish I think a big thing too is is don't fish if you're fishing with kids don't fish longer than they want to fish if they want to throw rocks in the water it's all good as long as you're out there having a good time they want to walk around and go take a hike for a minute or go play in a playground if it's close to the lake you're fishing in or you know what i mean if you want to fish for 15 minutes and then go throw rocks for 15 minutes and then maybe come back and throw fit you know throw throw the the pull back in the water again i think that's important to, to uh not get I guess just so into, okay, we have to fish. We're here to fish. It, that's good for Nick and I, if we're going together, okay, we're fishing, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're not going to, we're not going to go throw rocks in the water, but if you're so short, do, do what they want to do and have a good time. And after that, it's a good day. Yeah, I guess uh, it's uh, for adults. It's definitely relaxing. 
but uh, I can see a child's attention span kind of getting the best of uh, a fishing trip if you're trying to do that. So that's a good tip. Maybe we um, we should start off about for a newbie, like where what kind of like those bait caster things are garbage, aren't they? It's, just, it? it's just a different type. You know, yeah, not necessarily. No. You know the three three main types you're gonna get into. So, if you're, um, you know, lakeside fishing or boat fishing, which is usually what you start with, um, like shore fishing is probably the easiest because you don't have to have any other equipment. You just go out with a pole and the bait, and you could fish from a bank somewhere. You know, you, you have the bait cast, which is a button, which is nice. But then the issue is if you start getting like um, tangled where the line gets messed up inside. It's a lot harder to take care of. The reel is is enclosed, right? Yeah, so you'll get, you know, you'll start to get like a bird's nest build up in there, and it's kind of like a hidden problem. Like a spin caster is, you know, probably the most common one that you're going to see, and that's the one that has like the metal wire half loop and the exposed spool. Okay. So, you know, when you you use that, you're flipping it back and forth, which takes some time, but once you start using it, it's really nice. And if you ever do have issues, my favorite part about that is you just basically – cut the line, pull it out till it's clean, cut it, and then retie your knot and move on. Or you can go, you know, the extremely traditional route where you're like bamboo stick, you know, no line, you're just kind of fishing out like 10 feet or so, which you can, you know, can with the, the longer pull. Ooh. Or you can go like Nick and I do and dive deep into the world of fly fishing. I wouldn't really recommend fly fishing for brand new people. <laughs> uh, Wait a minute now. Your dad and my dad threw us in when we were eight years old. Yeah. But and said, here you go. We're fly fishing now. You know, right? going going back to what we said earlier, when you go play and throw rocks, Keith was referencing when we would go build dams for like three hours on the sides of rivers yeah. and like explore <laughs> while our, our dads fly fish for the day. And I don't think it was probably until we were like teenagers that fly fishing I, actually started I becoming think it something. Was even, I think it was after that even. I think it was after we figured out that, okay, I can jump in a car and come get you, and we're going to go fish. That, I, that For me, that was, that was the point where the hobby really kicked in was, okay, I'm going to go pick up Nick, and we're going to go fish, and then we're going to have a good time. After I got my license was the point where it like something clicked for me, and something said, this is your hobby. This is what you're going to have fun with the rest of your life. I guess if I was recommending somebody start off, I'd go say buy like a spin cast for rod, you know, any sporting store like Walmart. You go to Walmart and spend 20 bucks and get a whole setup, rod reel, everything, and, and catch fish. And then, you know, those are pre-done with lines, so you're not worried about picking that out or putting it on at all. And, you know, mm-hmm. you it usually I, gives you like a hook assortment too. Yeah, like, like the, they have combo deals where it's all in one. Um, yep, and Pat, I think, to to date on all of our podcasts this might be the cheapest one that we've gone over so far as far as entry-level startup yeah you might everything be right. else is everything else is so expensive and really <laughs> to go fishing all you need is to go to walmart or or dicks and buy that 20 dollars setup and then buy a license and you're good to go buy a can of worms can of worms yep. that was the crazy part about this fishing trip is like last year i had all these crazy lures that went at different depths and uh, like top of the water and everything I, when i came back this year t- to go to that trip i caught the most fish on just a rubber worm yeah i've got probably 
at least a thousand dollars in lures in a bag that I've collected. I've caught more fish on a simple worm and bobber with like a split shot weight than I've caught on any of those lures combined. Like, you know, the that's the most effective tools. Like li- live worms in lakes, especially in northeastern Ohio, are gonna catch you unbelievable amount of fish. Bass, bluegill, catfish, walleye, they all go after it. Like even if you go up to Erie, like, you know, worms work okay, but you start going to minnows then. Minnows and worms with a bobber, you're going to probably tear it up most places that you go on a good day. I think live bait in general, even if you're somewhere, somebody that lives on the coast, you know, somewhere that's going to be ocean fishing or really live bait, there's nothing, nothing can mimic exactly what live bait does. And that's have a smell for the fish, have something that they're used to eating. And uh, there's nothing that's going to catch more fish than live bait. You said something uh, I wanted to kind of go over, uh, and I just learned this. And maybe I can even learn some more. You talked about split shot. And uh, I had a little experience with clamping a weight on the line, and then somebody showed me a split shot. And then uh, you were talking about a bobber. Do all three of those things kind of do make the same effect, whereas, like, the worm is kind of looking like it's floating around yeah so the the goal is really to put the bait at the level of the fish so that you're using your bobber as an indicator but then it's also basically like holding your bait or suspending it above the water it's not like on the the ground yeah so like that's your anchor point if you want to think of it you've got your anchor point which is your bobber then you you want your line to basically come straight down and then your next goal is to place that bait where the fish are. So if you can see the fish, you know, like from the surface, you try to figure out how far down they are. Like mm-hmm. maybe you see a whole bunch of bass and bluegill, like five or six feet kind of cruising around. Like that's really where you want to set your bait at. You and want then, to set the depth of your bait at the same place in the water column as the fish are tend to feed. And generally, even if you cast something in, figure out, okay, maybe it's 10 feet deep. Maybe you put your, your worm or whatever at nine feet deep, you know, just, just off the bottom is going to be more productive most of the time than any other place in the water column. But you definitely, if you're not catching anything, then you move it up a foot or down a foot, depending on what you think is going to, going to work. Then once you do catch a fish, you don't move anything. You keep everything exactly (laughs) the same. You don't move. You don't move your feet. You don't move anything. You just keep casting in the same spot. Yeah, so the goal of the weight really is to make sure that your bait stays down below at that level. Because, like, a, you know, sometimes, like, the worms or the minnows, like, they'll want to go up. So you make sure you put enough weight on to keep it down, but then not to submerge your bobber to lose that indication feature. So the bobber would be more of, like, you, you can pick what the height is. And I noticed the split shots and, like, those, I don't know what they're called. Like they, they just clamp on you, you just smush them onto your line. It's like a little weight. It, I call them all, like, split shots or lead yeah. shot. But those yeah. get, come in different weights. So the, I guess the heavier, the farther down it goes. You know, in general, for lake fishing, I think I the ones I always use, they're about the size of a pea. They're, they're pretty easy to handle. And what I'll usually do is I'll, I'll do my, my hook, we can get in hook sizes later, but then I'll usually do my split shot like six to eight inches up. And then I'll just, I'll squeeze one on there and I'll do one the size of a pea, which is usually enough to get you a good cast, you know, kind of performance enhancement. And then I'll put my bobber up 
whatever distance I want to set the bait level. Oh, so you're running, you're running a bobber and a split shot. Yeah. Biggest thing with that is to keep the, keep the bait at the right point in the water, because sometimes bait wants to move up and down and you want to keep it in the same general vicinity within eight inches, like Nick's talking about. And if you can't see the bottom, you know, kind of assume how deep the area is you're, you're in. And, you know, probably put it in the middle. So if you're fishing in, like, a six-foot deep water, put it at three foot to start. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's, it's pretty good. And, you know, you, you could kind of start applying a lot of logic as you get better. Like, on hotter days, the, fishers are, the fish are going to be lower in the cooler water and then vice versa. You know, it's you kind of work with the, the weather and the environment. And if the water's really muddy, you know, maybe you're going to have a bad day too. But just move it around a lot and see if you can find anything. That was one thing that the biggest thing that I learned this year too on my like second trip out was I was just randomly throwing like casting into anywhere thinking oh the fish are everywhere I just need to f- get one that's hungry but really it's it, it there's a lot of factors like um there's not in the middle of the f- lake there's not Unless there's something there to attract the fish, there's nothing in the middle of the lake that you're going to find. The shade is a big deal. I learned that. Um, and cover. The cover. Anything, yeah, like any kind of cover. Like a tree branch or a lily pad or something that where they think they're hidden. If you see like a big fallen log... I can almost guarantee you there's a bass hanging out there if you're fishing in Ohio. Oh, yeah. That's what I – the one thing I noticed that was really a good tip, uh, one of the guys that I was with said that you want to line yourself up you know, with the tree so that you cast along it and then reel so that you're kind of just going in parallel with the tree. Oh, it was, it was like night and day. Yeah, like if you know, if you get into more advanced fishing, which I would consider fly fishing – the whole goal is presentation. So yep. like with fly fishing, you're, you're casting on an artificial lure. You're trying to make it look like real food to these fish. And trout are really high up there on the, you know, the intelligence scale as long as, as fish go. Like they know if it's real or not. You <laughs> they start know if get, it's real. They know if it's the wrong color. They know if it's the wrong size. They know if like, it's the wrong time of day. <laughs> so the, They know if you're wearing green shirt. <laughs> So so the whole goal is making it look like something that they typically eat. So, you know, increasing that like display that you have just increases your odds of getting it eaten. Because like especially a lot of lake fish, they're a little bit more aggressive and they'll pursue um, their whatever they're going to eat a little bit longer. Like I fished a lot for bass and strip mines in Ohio and I love fishing for bass because they usually cruise right off of the first shelf in a strip mine. So you get like six to eight feet. And it drops off to like 20 or 30. So they're like right around like that 10 feet cruising, keeping their eye on that shelf, looking for something. So if you, you know, we used to just jig worms on a weight, no bobbers at all. And you just visually jig it along that edge. And you see this bass come up and he'd start watching you. And he'd, you know, he'd be cruising out like a big great white watching this worm. Then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he comes in like lightning and hammers this thing. You know, and he just takes back off down below. So, you know, he, they're watching it, and they're making sure that it's something that's interesting to them. And, but, like, when you get the trout, though, these they're real more, like, energy conservation. They're like, should I spend this effort to go get this bait? Now, we're talking, right, we're talking trout in, uh, in a stream or a river. Yeah, lake trout are a little different. 
Yeah, lake trout are a little different. We're, the trout that Nick's talking about is, is trout in streams. They they have to keep themselves facing upstream, and that expends energy. And for them to come out of their little honey spot to eat something, they want to make sure it's worthwhile. Yeah. So definitely for the like the first timer, you would recommend like a a lake or a pond. Some lake or a pond or a uh if you're gonna if you're at a stream and you have a spinning rod a uh some kind of spoon or a panther martin or something and cast it across the stream and reel it slowly back across and downstream uh, yeah if you if you especially if you know somebody with a stocked pond that's probably the best place to start honing so your skills there. yeah right because you you know there's not going to be anybody else there. You get you get to you know you could look stupid. It's like going to a driving range for the first time where you're sh- <laughs> yeah. you're shanking balls straight down the line. Like you know you you kind of want to be alone and work this stuff out on your own. You know another thing too is you could practice casting in your backyard. You know just don't put the hook on. Put a big split shot on the end so you have that weight. Like it's it is a bait and just start throwing it out in the yard. And you could practice then and that that way you get used to at least you know working the pool, especially if you're getting a new. Um, rod reel combo you want to make sure you understand it before you get out there on the water especially with some other people plus uh i noticed um with different lines and i guess we could we could talk about lines uh, like different kinds when when i put on line into my reel and then just immediately went out um with the regular monofilament line it was just like a can, it was like uh what's that can like the can of worms that you just you know, open the top and it flings out it's like a slinky so uh trying to get some tension on if you're using just regular monofilament line it i learned that the like the case that it comes in it keeps like the shape of that whatever diameter like four inch diameter is and then you go and you put it on a reel that's smaller, and it's still, it still wants to be big. Still wants to be that bigger size, and it flings off. So, you know, practicing or letting it out um, definitely helps that problem. Because, yeah, the first couple casts when I first put on the line in there, we're just tangled, and and when I reeled it back in, it was all nasty, and it was a pain in the ass. Yeah, I think the only way you can avoid that is. When you feed the line on, trying to maintain that same orientation around the spool so you don't get this, like, the, the preset tension in the line where it wants the pull to that circle, you try to just basically transfer it. So if you ever go to, like, a high-end fishing store and you see them spooling line on, they usually have the main spool they're feeding from and the new spool, and they're directly across from each other. So, you know, it almost looks like a tape. Under t- under tension too. Yeah, it, it almost looks like a tape spool. How it, it transfers from one to the other. So you, it's not because you know I see a lot of guys that just they'll actually spread it or pull it down the the eye holes on their their um, rod when it comes on. So then you're getting all these different angles. So all the like that factory set tension is like exposed, and you get all these different shear planes that are you know pushing out. Because it's really a lot of those lines aren't aren't round. They're like square or like they have edges. So you're saying that you could go to somewhere and they will put your line on for you? A nicer store will. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if, if you're starting if you off. Buy the, yeah, if you buy the reel there, usually they'll, they'll line it for you. 
I didn't know that. Okay. Cause but they, that's uh, only the first time, so you, you, this is definitely something you need to know. Because yeah. you're gonna be, you're gonna put line on. I do it once a year. At the beginning of the year, you usually line after it sits out in uh, in the elements and in UV light and stuff. It usually breaks down a bit, so I usually try to line my stuff every once a year. Unless you buy spider wire. Unless you do All spider right, wire. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the mistakes that I made that I'll pass along is I went and bought. Amazon, because all the guys that I was fishing with, they were all saying, you got to get braided line. It'll never snap. Because last year, there was a problem for me. Is I'd get it caught on something, or I actually had a fish just break. I had 10-pound test. One of these big, like, you know, 15-pound big guys would come up and snap the line off. I'd get it on a tree. So I bought this Amazon braided line, and... It I I should have known. It was it was like I think it was nineteen ninety nine for this braided line and it, it it was blue and I started putting it on and it like the color color blue it was blue all over my hands <laughs> and I put the split shot on and after a couple casts it would break at the split shot. Um I put the I put a knot on, it would break at the hook. Um it was just crap. Yeah, if you want to spend some money and not have problems, I'd say spending it on lines a, a big thing because it's, you know, it breaking is going to be disappointing. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah, and you, but you can you can actually fish with line that's not rated super high weight, but it just takes a lot more finesse. Like yeah, if you watch those Bassmaster guys that pull those ten pound bass out, you know, like they're yanking. Freaking! I don't, I don't know how to describe that. Like twenty-five pound line on five pound fish is yeah. what they're doing. So they have like this really high grade line, but you know, um, you could fish with like a five pound line and catch a huge fish and put a lot of force on there. But the problem is you got to adjust the. Oh shoot, Keith! What's the what's the term? The drag. That's what it is. Uh-huh. Yes. You got to adjust yeah. your drag so that they're not. You're not getting that hold up where you both have tension on that line, and you're applying uh, that so force. So like, if they're pulling on it, it'll let it out. Yeah, the the drag sets the tension of your uh, your reel so that when the fish shakes his head or he wants to run, he can take line off of your yeah that's off that, of your uh, spool without breaking the line. The drag is that that little dial on the top of your reel, right? Yeah. So if you're breaking a yep. lot because you're, you've got big fish pulling, just back that down because all that's going to happen is it's going to let the fish run, and then then you get into a whole the whole new game of fishing, which is I think a lot of fun is where you're basically working these big fish down so you could bring them in. And that's that, a, For me, that's the funnest part is to have really tiny line and catch really big fish on tiny <laughs> line. It's so much fun. Because uh, on lightweight gear, big bigger fish on lightweight gear is uh, is kind of my game. Even in, even in fly fishing, I like to use small rods and small weight line to catch uh, you know even two-pound fish on tiny, tiny gear is, is a ton of fun. I think this may be a good topic to kind of jump in here. So that, you know, you get a fish on the line, you know, you, you, it's not just so easy as you always just reel it in. Like you can have that type of fishing where you just pull it in real fast and you get it out like smaller fish. But let's say you start catching bigger fish. Like you're out fishing for bluegill, but you end up hooking a bass or a catfish and you're not really expecting this bigger fish. You don't want to break your line. You still want to bring it in, you know, catch this amazing fish. 
so that, you know, to me, there's always a few things that I was taught to follow to, to try to always catch a fish no matter what you're, what's happening. And the, the big one is not letting the line get too much tension on it. So if they are pulling really hard, I'll try to real quick to let my drag out so the thing just runs. And it, it's, I basically just want to let it run so it gets tired. Tire it out. But then you, you got to start thinking, I, I want to get tired, but I don't want to get somewhere that I can't get it out of. So if you're fishing around Too a lot of out. trees or something, well, you, if you're in a big open lake, it's okay. You really don't want to get under anything or around anything that's going to get in the way of your line. Tangle. It, like you think of deep sea fishing, like you let that fish run out for hundreds of yards because there's nothing out there. Then you just reel it back in, you let it run out, you reel back in, the fish is tired, then you get its head up. That's actually the end game, is that you want to get this fish's head out of the water. Once its head's out of the water, it doesn't have that power to push itself anymore, and you're basically limiting its options to flee anymore. Mm -hmm. A lot of fish will actually just give up when their head comes out, and you'll see them go limp and kind of just, you know, wait there for you to grab it. So that trying to think keith with the pool the pool location is the other one i was going to talk about where the tip of your rod's basically pointed at yeah you want your tip of your rod up at all times um unless the fish jumps and that's kind of advanced but you, you just you want to keep tension on the fish you don't want you don't ever want to let the tension off so even though the fish is running you still have the tension and uh you, you let the fish go your rod tip up the whole time reel them in as uh as they wear down that that's kind of the, uh, the biggest thing if you are um deep sea fishing also or uh fishing in the ocean is to let the fish tire itself out because it's usually going to be bigger than it's going to be bigger than a, uh, a three pound or a five pound bass if you're if you're catching anything in the in the ocean or unless you're on let them come back that was, I had a horrible deep sea, like probably one of the reasons why I'd, I never really tried to go fishing was, uh, I think I went, I went to Florida one time and decided to go on a deep sea fishing charter and it was probably a good hour ride out and I got so sick that I didn't get to fish and I'm like, this sucks. If this is what fishing is, I'm out. <laughs> and I really never went after that, I, but um, I was watching people catch these giant fish when I was well, like in between throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, if you start to enjoy fishing or you, you get to a level where you're comfortable, guided fishing tours are probably the best thing that you can do. And Absolutely. That's and that's anywhere. That's, that's deep sea fishing. That's on streams. That's in lakes. It's, I think, I think the funnest thing is if you go on vacation and there's fish everywhere you go on vacation, but you got to find the guy that knows where the fish is. Um, I'm totally with you on guided fishing trips when you're not in your, I guess, home location um, or your your home comfort level even. Like, I, I'm not comfortable fishing. We live really close to Lake Erie. I'm not comfortable fishing in Lake Erie without having somebody that knows what they're doing. So you hire a fishing charter for 400 bucks a day, you go out, you have a good time with, you know, one or two of your friends and uh, come back. Hopefully you catch some fish. And if you don't, hey, it's it's fishing. Sometimes you don't catch fish. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been seeing a lot of pictures of people coming back from uh, just because we're by Lake Erie. But they go out there. They have a guide that 
you know, knows where the fish are, and they come back with just a, you know, a huge, probably... Huge hollow walleye or perch. As, as many fish as they want, really. So, you sometimes, don't... Sometimes you get none, and it's happened in Lake Erie before, even with charters. Some of my best fishing experiences were Lake Erie, and it wasn't a guided one. This was with my grandfather. We went out in an 18-foot open bow boat. We went five miles out in the Lake He's Erie. He's a nut. You're a nut. Yeah. You're insane. The, the whole story <laughs> gets better. So it was just my grandfather and I, which I loved going fishing with him, and he had this boat. We go all over the place, but every once in a while we try to go to Erie. So everybody this one year was talking about the perch up in Erie. So we're like, well, let's go fish for perch. Like, we've never done it before. But we're like, we'll figure this out. <laughs> So we leave, we, we, I think we leave at like 4 or 5 a.m., so we get the boat in the water by like 6, then we drive five miles out, no big deal. You know, we're out there, it's calm as can be, way to go. Like, Perfect. We, we throw the line in the water and like, boom, pull it right up, perch. And these aren't like lake, little lake perch that are like couple, like half a pound, pound. These are like three to five pound, massive Lake Erie perch nice. that we're, we're catching at 30 feet deep off minnows. And, like, you'd pull them up so fast that their air bladders would actually expand and come out of their mouth because, yep. the, because of the pressure change. Yeah, it was yeah. so rapid for them. We caught our limit, which was 30 perch a person, in less than an hour. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's great. The that's fun, crazy. The funniest part of the story that I remember is that my, so my grandfather packed, like, a lunch for us, but he was packing it, like, 3 in the morning and couldn't really see in the kitchen, couldn't turn the light on. So he ended up bringing like cinnamon gra- or cinnamon graham crackers and cheddar cheese. We're <laughs> 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 like sitting there. He's like, "Oh well," he just starts like making these little cheese sandwiches because he thought he had regular crackers. <laughs> oh man! But cinnamon and cheese. Ooh. I tried. It wasn't the best, but it was it was all right. That and some Coca Colas. That was you know it was a fun day. But man, we we came home. And I filleted those perch on the the tailgate when we got back to the house, and my grandmother fried them up. They were like the some of the best fish that I've ever had. That I will say that I I am not a meat fisherman. I release mainly everything that I catch, but perch and walleye from Lake Erie are some of the best fish you can possibly eat. Let's take a second here because I know you guys switch beers. What are you drinking now? Well, uh, we've got the uh, Campfield Brewing Irish Red right now. It's nice. a blue bottle. <laughs> it's yeah. a blue bottle. <laughs> I got to do a better job at labeling these. Unlabeled like, blue bottle. <laughs> I, I, assuming what is in these beers, but I don't really know 100%. <laughs> I got a, uh, I got a Stella. Ooh. Fancy. Fancy beer. <clears throat> oh, man. So we kind of went over how to 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 start out with what what to buy for you know like that combo, uh, and you had touched on um, different kind of hooks. Uh, hooks, oh man! Because uh, <laughs> I I started playing around with uh, the the biggest pet peeve from my from like my perspective was getting caught on certain things like um, either. Uh, in lily pads or in on the shore or on, on sticks and then i learned about the weedless hook this year and i was like oh, i gotta get me one of those because <laughs> all these guys are just like i'm sitting there trying to uh get 
unstuck and other guys are just catching fish like left and right. I'm like, ah, come on. And hooks, hooks to me is you could write a thesis paper on the amount of hooks and types there are. Yep. I think the biggest thing is you want to get a size that's appropriate for the area that you're in and what your goal fish is. And then you yep. also want to understand if you want to have a barbed or unbarbed hook. I didn't even know you could have an unbarbed hook. Some places require you to have unbarbed hooks if you're fishing uh, certain catch and release places. Um, and more so fly fishing wise, if you're fishing certain catch and release places, fly fishing, they require you have barbless hooks or you smash your barb down. It's harder to catch fish on a barbless hook. I was going to say, you try to catch like some of the smartest fish on a barbless hook, like you're going to yeah. say F a lot. <laughs> you, you have to have... It, it, the uh we were talking about tension when you're reeling a fish in it, it it's uh it's important when you have a barbed hook it's uh it's imperative when you have a barbless hook that you have tension on the line if you don't have tension that fish is automatically off well that was that was one of the things that i learned this uh this trip was that you can't just set it out there and wait like for for it to feel like the fish is running away if you feel a nibble you kind of have set the hook set the hook yeah i didn't really know what that was until i had a couple fly like just i'd sit it out there and i'd feel something and then it'd go away well you know i, I didn't know i had to yank on it to actually get the hook into the fish's mouth you know, I think that's a it's kind of an important part too. So Keith mentioned that he's not a big, you know, meat fisher. So we're more for conservation of the species and that, you know, the activity is always there. I, I like that fish naturally breed. I don't want them always to be stocked. I think that's the big difference between kind of how you start to fish when you get into the more sophisticated levels. So if I'm going out to catch a fish that I know I'm gonna eat, like I'm going perching in Erie, like I don't give a crap if it's a barbed hooked because I know I'm gonna kill the fish in the end. But if I'm fishing on like a stocked pond somewhere and I don't want to hurt anybody's fish that you know that they've been raising there, like I'll squeeze my barb down because it's less likely that that's going to go down their throat and I won't be able to pull it out. Mm -hmm. so when you put that barb in, basically what you have is like a reverse razor blade on that hook. So if you're if you're Ripping. yes, so this this is always my issue. If I take kids fishing like people for the first time, it takes them forever to set the hook so by the time they actually do pull it that fish has basically like halfway digested the bait so it is down their throat and if it is a normal size hook on a fish i'm probably going to kill the fish to get it out so the only you know you could you could cut the line and it'd be okay but most of the time it's by the time you pull it in it's already bleeding so much you might as well just end it yeah so yeah i noticed that too is that um there was a there was a couple of fish that uh, turned into floaters after I had struggled to try to get this hook out. Pliers are your best friend. Uh, I also ha bought a pair of gloves um, when before I figured out the special lip trick, and I've then now my thumbs is uh, <laughs> it's yet to. Uh, grow back I that's great though that's that's how you know you did it right well you know what uh if you have i gotta get an iphone 10 because it has fake face recognition my thumbprint <laughs> scanner doesn't work on my phone now because <laughs> i put my my thumb into so many fish i didn't know the trick that if you 
if you grab a fish under its tongue, that was kind of grabbing on the on basically the I don't know the side of the mouth. But if you if you put your thumb right under its tongue, they kind of stop doing what it, like they stop wiggling around. It's mainly bass. I didn't uh, know that. All, it, it must all, be bass. All all That's fish all, aren't all, like that because no. a trout you can't lip a trout. Oh, you want to uh, hold a trout it, like it's a yeah. <laughs> Trout and, are, are amazing fish. A, a walleye you can't lip because it has big teeth. So, uh, so you're, you're with those fish, you're grabbing like the the, the side. Uh, a walleye you're gonna gill. You're gonna put your finger up the gill a little bit just to hold them up. I and, I, I gill bass too. I don't usually grab the tongue of bass. Oh yeah. I just right up through there, one finger, and you yeah. kind of like hook it you up. Don't, you don't touch the red part of the gill. You just kind of. It's around the side of the gill, yeah. I don't follow that, but <laughs> <laughs> I just look for the open area, stick my finger up there. I guess. But like, if so, let's say if you're starting fishing, you're going to catch a bluegill, which is like a pan fish. Those suckers have a spine on them that they've developed to protect themselves. So, like their top dorsal fin is a pokey spine. Yeah. <laughs> so the way you handle these fish is you actually, like, will fold that back, and you want to squeeze the crap out of them so that they don't wiggle and, like, basically extend it into your hand. That's a scientific term. Squeeze the crap out of them. Yeah. They will literally crap and pee when you start squeezing them, which is hilarious. Yeah. We used to have wars where we chase each other around with peeing panfish. <laughs> but uh, the easiest way to describe this this is more of a visual thing you can go on youtube just say like how to how to hold a panfish or handle a panfish you basically take whatever hand you want you're, you're holding the other hand you're holding the line like really close to the fish and you start off like at the fish's mouth and you basically push their top dorsal fin down with your hand as you slide it down their body and as soon as you get far enough back, basically behind the gills, you basically use your index finger, middle finger, and thumb to clamp the fish still. And it, you you want to hold it really tight so that fin doesn't come up. And at that point, you can get your pliers and take the hook out. And panfish are so, you know, easy to deal with. You just toss it back in the water. Huh. And you toss it good because you don't want to – this little spiny back hurts like heck. Well, I guess I got it. I got it pretty easy then. Bass fishing. Bass don't really have any kind of like external things that you got to be aware of. Yeah, because I, I started out trying to just grab the side of it, and they they'd wiggle out of my hand, and, and it, I'd get all scaled up in my hand. And then I I've started thumbing them right in the in the mouth, and that worked out real well. To stick the pliers on the on the hook, and and. Uh, and get the hook out, but uh, and that was another reason why I liked the the just the worm and a hook is because those crankbaits that have like two three barbed treble hooks uh, treble hooks on there were I mean there were times that when I did catch fish with those I didn't even catch I they didn't even hook in the mouth it was just like they were. <laughs> passing by <laughs> hooked them on the side so i'm there like trying to get these out they're wiggling all around all these hooks so yeah. i definitely if i went and went somewhere else i would start out with a, a one hook and then if if that i mean 
if I spent hours and not caught anything, then maybe I'd switch to something else with the, you know, those triple hooks. Most of the places that you go around here, like worm or minnow on a hook with a simple bobble bobber rig is going to catch you the most fish. You know, you, you start going and you do some more advanced fishing. Yeah. Maybe you want some rooster tails or such like the, you know, the spinner mm-hmm. stuff, but yeah, the top water. Cause I, I guess, uh, I had read a bunch of stuff and watched a bunch of videos about, oh, top water and look, this thing looks like a frog. And th- this one, uh, it, it looks like this. And there's, you know, all these cool looking, uh, you know, lures. And I bought them, you know, they're almost 10 bucks a piece sometimes. And I spent all this money and it, <laughs> they didn't really work at all. For some, what of, I was looking. some of those lures are very specialized and they only work in certain scenarios. And uh, when you do get them to work, it, it's a hell of a lot of fun because catching fish on the top, seeing them hit the bait on the or bait or lure or fly on the top of the water is some of the most fun that you can have. But it's a particular situation; it only works some of the time. And if you're just starting out, that's probably not the way to go. Yeah, I definitely could have saved some money. <laughs> I've always there's, I've always liked the joke in fly fishing about the rat face McDougal. <laughs> it's a it's a very special fly that's good like one day like every five years but if it's that day it's the only fly you want to have because yeah. you'll catch like a billion fish on it but then the rest of the year it's like a piece of crap that you know that's kind of how i think of all these lures yeah you know they're great for these certain scenarios but how often are you going to be in that and how much is it worthwhile for you when you can go out there with a basic you know can of worms and you know polish off a dozen fish in an hour or so and head home and be happy about it so you guys think live bait would be the the best thing to do? Like go to some place that has one of the signs that says live bait on it? You can go anywhere. Walmart sells it. The Walmart noticed, Canadian yeah. Nightcrawlers. You go get those. And you don't even want to use, the, you know, sorry for anybody here that's PETA and likes worms. You don't want to use the whole worm. Like they're big worms. They're like six inches long. So I grab it. I put use my nail and I break it in half. Oh, yeah. I, I Like normal Canadian Nightcrawlers maybe like, three to six inches on average you can use a quarter at a time of the the worm holy cow yeah, and you, you just want enough on the hook to make it look interesting like if you put too much on the hook actually you'll get fish that grab that excess and rip it off and they don't even touch the hook because <laughs> they've already gotten their their what they're looking for yeah and like same with minnows too you know you, you uh you kind of hook a minnow like you'd want to catch a fish where you're like you go under the gill or you go through the main part of the body because you don't want to kill it. You want it to still be able to move because you want that reflective side to show. Ah. You want it to look like a dying fish, not a dead fish. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that, that would bring us to... Uh, you said that earlier that you had a GIF on your phone of how to tie a knot. Um, oh, that's the biggest thing in fly. Biggest fish. Biggest thing in fishing is knowing how to tie knots. I, a good yeah. knot can make or break your day, and if you spend an hour at home just tying knots and tying a lure onto your line and cutting it off and tying it onto your line and cutting it off, that I think you can get so much benefit on the water just by knowing how to tie the right knot and to tie the knot onto your lure or fly i like the improved clinch knot it's very easy to tie it's self-explanatory there's a million videos online about it there's pictures online about it it's it's an important knot to know if you're if you're fishing 
don't get scared away by Keith's comment. I could tie the knots just when I'm so drunk, <laughs> and it still works just fine. Right. <laughs> it's it's not like it's you know you're going out there and getting the masters or whatever and knot tying. It's like you you learn this thing and it just becomes so natural to you that you don't remember. Like I don't remember the name of the one that I tie. I'm pretty sure it's the same as Keith here. It's I'm, improved clinch. I'm I guarantee it you it is. Well, is it so? The one that I learned was basically you take it through the hook, you spin it around five yep. or six times, and then that uh, that initial loop that is closest to the hook, you the excess you uh, thread it through there, and then and then it kind of slides down to the hook. That's the clinch knot. The improved clinch is taking it one more step and going back through the loop that you made at the end. Oh, so it, it's me. it's just one more step, and in if you're doing bigger line, if you're doing bigger line, the clinch knot works fine. But if you have really tiny fly line, you need to go back through it. Uh, Nick doesn't agree with me, but <laughs> screw you, I'm right, you're wrong. It's not that I don't agree with you. I'm just saying, like, I, don't be deterred because you got to learn to tie a knot. I'm saying it's one knot. Learn yeah. to tie it. It's you, not that hard. You can look on Google. <laughs> I googled it to make sure that the knot that I tied was the one that Keith was talking about, and it is a three-step diagram that shows you how to tie this thing. And there's a lot of times that I don't even know how many loops I make around the stupid line to start with, but I know it works. And basically, all I do when I'm done is I pull it. If the if the whatever I, the hook comes off, I'm like, whoop! Didn't get enough loops that time. Let's try this yep. again. Yep. That's the only thing you got to do. You got to pull it, and if it breaks, you do it again. No, nope, not a big deal. And if you want to look good in front of like a girl you're taking, like spit on it, like you know, this makes a well, difference. The, yeah, yeah. That was the big <laughs> thing. Like, I watched all these YouTube videos. These guys are sticking the line in their mouth, like, oh yeah, this will, you know, this will make it slide down. <laughs> And cinch on there real good. What the hell? I did it. I forgot a couple of times without putting it in my mouth. It worked just as fine. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just something funny to do. You're around people that don't like to fish. <laughs> I tell yeah, my wife that all the time. I was like, it's a special maneuver I do with my tongue. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was the big thing that I was... There was all these other guys that were to- telling me to do these different knots... And because my when I bought that crappy line, I thought it was the knot that I was tying because it it would snap off at the hook. And I was like, oh, I'm tying the wrong knot. Well, after I switched over to the just regular clear line, I tied the same knot and it it I could pull a boat to a tree that I hooked accidentally. It was like, well, it's not the knot; it's this crappy line. Uh, so, you know, whether it's the clinch knot or an improved clinch knot, um, <laughs> you'll find out real quick whether or not you've tied the right knot because it'll, whether or not it'll snap or, or it'll just keep working. I know when I was a little kid starting off, like, you know, you, you little kids have like the, Hey, I could do this myself thing. Like, I'm pretty sure I just tied like an over under knot like 30 times and it worked for me. And I still caught the stupid fish in ponds. Like, if you yeah. tie the knot, if you just, you can make up your own knot as long as it holds the thing, like, you're going to catch the fish. Yeah. And then worst case is the fish runs away with your hook and it dissolves and everything's okay and you, you just put another hook on. Right. And then I, I, uh, I learned about the swivel, too. Oh, swivels. That's if you're doing, like, a... 
Don't be a noob, Pat. Don't use swivels. Well, it's, it depends. If you're doing a rooster tail or something, you can't use a straight line because you're gonna get all that spinning that's, on that, there. That is a good point. You're right. So if you I, I if you graduate from a hook, um, and you're using like uh, the at least the, I refer to them as crank bait or spinner bait, um, then I guess uh, th- there is really nice to if you're switching around. Um, between those, you know, lures to have a, uh, a swivel, which is basically like a quick change. So you tie a knot on one end, and then it has a little clamp on the other, and you can change out your lures. But what I what I think I'm going to do next time is get another pole. Ooh, yeah. So that now you're hooked, Pat. Multiple poles. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Multiple poles. Because you're definitely hooked. I was, I, I'm like, oh, I want to switch, you know, to the, uh, from just the regular worm to some like other bait, but I don't. I want to go back to the worm later. So if I had another pole, which I watched other guys, they had all. Everybody else had two poles. I just got one. They just put the other pole down, cast out the other one. If that doesn't hit, go back to the other one. That way you've always got two different kinds to switch out. Your odds of catching fish are higher if you have something in the water. <laughs> and the faster you can put something in the water is better. You actually say two pools. I get excited because I'm like, I'm thinking maybe he's going to be putting something on the bottom trying to catch a catfish or something. Oh. And then he's going to be fishing top level at the same oh, time. Oh, double duty. And I'm, I'm trying to rem- think of that. I'm trying to remember. So there, there is a legal restriction based on the, <laughs> where you are for the number of pools that you can be manipulating at a current time in the water. That's true. I remember seeing when I'd go to Florida on the beach, these guys with these like PVC pipes, they, they'd go and they'd cast out one, they'd throw it in a PVC pipe on the beach they bury it, and then they go cast another one, and like whichever one hit first, they'd go and grab. Like, okay, that's a little crazy. That that's definitely something that you have to consult your local Department of Natural Resources. Usually, when you get your license, you get a book that tells you all of that, and and it's different location to location. So I I don't know even what it is in our area. I don't think it even matters in our area, but I know there are some. Areas where you're only allowed to fish with one pole. So let's talk about fishing license. You you guys want to jump into that? Oh yeah, yeah. I, when I went to so um, buy a fishing license. Don't don't yeah, be stupid. I think it's what uh, in Ohio for a year round is thirty bucks maybe for resident. It's, well, yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for a resident, I think it's forty for a non-resident. Twenty, maybe it's twenty for a resident. So if you look young. This is the advice I could give you. And our friend Jeff, who didn't show up tonight, followed this, I think, until he was like 22. <laughs> if, you're six, if you're under 16 in Ohio, you don't have to have a fishing license. Ah. So if you look young and you hang out with older guys, just say that you're, they're your uncles or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that you're 15 and a half, like Jeff Swartz oh, did come for on. about Listen, like 20 it, years. <laughs> that, that $30 goes to help your local natural resources department. Yeah. I'm, it's yeah, thirty bucks. I'm not saying don't buy it. But I'm saying if you if you're starting fishing and you're going out for one night and you don't want to spend it, you know, granted there's usually a a one day option that's like five or six dollars that you could sh- go do. You could get away with it. Hey, I'm his little. 
cousin deal and be yeah. fine with it. But then if again, you get a beard, it's not going to work. That's only if you're in public Ohio waters. If you're in a private lake, you don't need a license. That's correct. Ah, okay. So, like, if you're at a state park or something or at a beach, you got to have that license on you. Public areas, yes. If you came into my house fishing in my lake, no license. Ah. It's private property. And I, when I went to Canada, there's a couple of different options there. They have this, like, fishing conservatory card thing, which I... I got, and I shouldn't have, because it's basically, it's more so for people who are there every year, or residents, it's a conservatory, like, it's almost like an ID card that they give you, and you pay for that, and then you pay for a fishing license, so if you have the card, the fishing license is cheaper when you renew, so I went and I thought I was going to be going there almost every year. So I bought the conservatory card and things where I really, if I was only, I was only there for fishing for three days, I could have bought a, like a five day, uh, license and then I'd be okay. I didn't really need to get the whole conservation, conservation thing. Uh, cause it only lasts for two years. Right. So now I bought it, and it already expired. I only got uh, one use out of it. But who's you know not too many people are going to go up to Canada and fish. But I in suggest case you that are, they do. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> tell you what, those lakes up there are incredible, and there's one after the other after the other. I was I was about an hour hour and a half north of Toronto, and I. Uh, got on a plane that took off on a lake and landed on a lake. I was one of six guys that were on a mile on lake. There was, there was maybe there was uh, two other people canoeing through. That was the only people we saw for four days. And, uh, you go, go anywhere you want. Never, uh, you know, those two other canoers were the only people we saw. There's, uh, tens of, you know, hundreds of lakes, just the same all around as we were flying over to this place that are just the same. So I could, uh, I could d definitely recommend a Canadian fly in fishing trip. Uh, if you're, if you're looking to step up from the local lakes that you were, uh, you know, checking out. What's uh, what's like the craziest place that you guys have fished? Middle of nowhere, Montana. Uh -huh. There's, I don't know. It's one of the most serene, most enjoyable fishing experiences I've ever had. Is the, you know, you fly to Montana and then drive seems like forever into the middle of mountains and then walk, and then fish for some some of the prettiest looking natural habitat trout. That's, that's probably the, the best experience that I've, that I've had fishing, just looking around you and seeing how huge everything looks around you and uh, noticing that you're just a small part of it and being able to catch fish. It's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I think it's, there's definitely something to be said about, um, 
uh, the best part of it was every night was like as the sun was setting, uh, you're out on a lake, it's quiet, the sun's going down, and you're just all you hear is, you know, other guys, yeah, I got one, or woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely something really relaxing about about that. You talk about everybody's connected and looking at their phones constantly. I think uh, if I was to go somewhere to, to kind of get away instead of uh, going on a vacation to like a big city or something like that, I definitely think the next time I would go in the middle of nowhere and just go fishing and some of the the best vacations i've had were basically fishing trips that were pre-planned you know um i gotta say that idaho was probably my top one so i fished swan valley in idaho we were actually there for like five days and the first two days that we just did some uh, like some various river stops and we were fly fishing the entire time the last two days though we did an overnight float trip on the river so we hired a guide he took us in a drift boat which kind of looks like a uh, a rowboat on steroids that you go down these whitewater rivers on and you know you fish one person's in the front another person's in the back the the guy's in the middle rowing so we do true, that true professionals those guys that row oh, it, it's an amazing thing that they do this is probably the most dangerous river i've ever been on like extremely high volume flow like to the point where if i went out of the boat in a life preserver i'm not sure if i could swim to shore and survive like level <laughs> like people drown in this river when their boats go down it's, it's pretty serious but the fish were unbelievable i caught some brown trout that i just remember i sent photos to keith and he said stop sending me your fish porn <laughs> <laughs> But it was when you were sending me those. It was almost to the point where I wanted to stop everything that I was doing and book a trip to Idaho. <laughs> well, how do you how do you fish when the water's like that? It's the, the, the fish are tuned into being in that water, and you throw the right fly that the guide tells you to throw, and you're gonna have a good time. It's Usually. not. It's not like it's not with its hard shapes. I I probably lost about fifty dollars in flies going down the river because oh, yeah. the goal is that he positions either the front or the back is favored so whoever's fishing the front or the back at the time they kind of favor you and the other guy's kind of fishing in like the crap water at that time but when he's favoring you he's trying to get you like right up on the bank or on like some big holes in the water so he's working his butt off rowing this boat to yeah. put you right there and he's yelling out to you cast there now you have one cast to get it right, and if you miss, he's going to make fun of you for the rest of the trip, yeah. basically. <laughs> so I caught, like, this two-foot-long brown trout. Holy shit. He told, like, I did exactly what he told me to. I cast this massive fly, like, two-inches-long fly. I put it at, like, six inches from the bank, and there's all this grass overhanging. And all of a sudden, I see this little mouth come up and sip it, and my, my line just goes so tight. And it runs down the water. I fought this fish for like five minutes before I get it up by the boat and get it in the net. And it is the most beautiful, largest brown trout that I've ever caught in my life. And brown trout to me are like the, you know, the golden fish of, you know, like I want to pray to because they're shelf. unbelievable. And 
I just remember I got a photo of this brown trout, and it's one of my screensavers that I have because it, it was one of the most magical moments of my life holding this massive, beautiful fish that I caught in, like, the oddest circumstances on this amazing river in Idaho on, like, the most beautiful day. And, you know, like, those, those moments kind of make me smile on every day when I think about them. But then, you know, the other parts of that trip that you don't really talk about that aren't fishing is that, so, you know, we, we paid a little substantial amount to have the service or whatever, but we basically had like this camp boy. So halfway down that river the first day, this jet boat goes flying by us with this teenager guy with all of our supplies. And like, I didn't really have that high of expectations for the campsite on the river, but man, then we show up. So the, the guide pulls the boat out. He's like, I'll put all the gear away. You guys just walk up and just relax. So we get up to the top of this hill. So we're like 30 feet away from this massive, gorgeous river that you hear flowing. Just just the pure flow of the river you hear. And that camp boy meets us there. He has ice cold beer for us. He has <laughs> oh, a salmon appetizer, some kind of dip, while he's cooking steaks for us on the grill. And he's got horseshoes set up. And he's like, I've got the solar shower warming up in the bag. If you guys want to take a shower, he's like, I went ahead and go ahead and I set your bunks up. You know, like it—it it was unbelievable. Wow. I'm—I'm I'm sitting. I caught this brown trout that day. That already blew my mind. Now I'm sitting on the edge of a river playing horseshoes, drinking a beer while some guy's cooking a steak for me. You know, I'm seeing the sunset over the side of this cliff. That's just you know. In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even have my cell phone on because we were 50, 60 miles from cell phone range for anything. And it was just absolutely amazing moment. And then, you know, it's like one in the morning. We're sitting around the campfire in Adirondack chairs, middle of Idaho, pure darkness, just drinking a beer. Like, you can't get any better than that. You know, oh, unbelievable. Yeah, you got to go to a place where you don't hear any cars, don't hear any, uh, you know, like honking or semis or whatever that's or people yeah. yeah or lights. lights you don't understand how many choose. lights how many lights are on even i mean you can live you can live outside of town and you can still see the lights outside of town and uh, you get into that situation where you're in the middle of nowhere and you know it, it, darkness is darkness it's not you don't have this glow yeah, they actually see the stars. That's another. I mean, we don't. I don't live in a giant city, but I, it's still hard to to see the stars. It's unbelievable once you get out away from all like any kind of like habitation or whatever, and you just get pure wilderness. Like I, I think that's where I really connect, and the fishing takes on a whole new level when you're at that point. You know, you, you kind of feel like uh, there's something bigger going on than just trying to catch fish. I absolutely agree. I've also had fun on short trips too. Shark fishing in uh, the Charleston Bay. That Keith. was hilarious. <laughs> we caught sharks. What? Which was fun. And then my uh, my brother-in-law at the time, well, future brother-in-law at the time, but my brother are now. He caught a stingray. It was like the it was like a half sheet of plywood he brought in. Which is like the most hilarious thing ever if you're fishing in the ocean. If somebody hooks a stingray. Because, I remember that on those charters. Like, bringing it up to the surface is near impossible in, like, the longest fight ever. Oh, no. It normally just snaps the line, right? Well, he got it in. Yeah. That's when, impressive. When he, fish, he got it in. Yeah. He, he fought this thing for what had to be, like, 20, 30 minutes. 
And like you'd see it, like it just come up above the darkness and you see this huge outline and then all of a sudden you see it fold and like turn back down and you just hear the line running back out. And we're all like, ah! <laughs> that was fun. That was a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, man. You can have fun and not catch fish even. I mean, Nick and I just floated down Oil Creek in Pennsylvania and it was pouring down rain. <laughs> We still had a great time. We didn't catch a damn thing. We knew we weren't going to catch anything because the the water looked like chocolate milk when we put in. But, uh, (laughs) you know, we had a great time. We fished a few minutes to kind of justify the trip. And then I think the rest was uh, cigars and beers and a kayak. Then we we tried to light a fire in the middle of a pouring, (laughs) like a thunderstorm. We tried to test our skills, and we figured out that uh, we need more skills. I still need to do some more research about lighting fires and damp conditions. <laughs> I thought I had it down. I was disappointing mm, myself. I thought we had it. Then. Well, I guess the the moral of our uh, of our podcast would be um, just try it out, and uh, it doesn't matter what you bring or where you go. Um, it's more about the experience that uh, that you're having, who you're with. And uh, every time you go again, you learn more. And uh, if we've given you just enough to at least go and Google or YouTube how to do some things, then I guess we're, we're doing our job. Get out there and try some new stuff. This is a fun one to try. It might maybe a lifelong hobby. If you really want inspired, watch the movie A River Runs Through It. It'll give you enough quotes to talk to yourself for a few weeks. (laughs) Perfect.